So last week we talked about a great subject, how sometimes things get worse before they get better. And uh, what happens with that, it's pretty easy to get discouraged when things get worse before they get better. Uh, and particularly when it's you're obeying God. So you're not totally shocked when you're not following God and walking in his ways when things get worse, because that can happen. But when you are uh, being obedient to God and things get worse before they get better, then it's it's more challenging. But it leads to discouragement. So um, uh, there are things easy to be discouraged about, and I experienced that. Um, dealing with Parkinson's disease is an easy thing to, to be discouraged about, to have an incurable disease that impacts your functionality and, and um, shortens your capacities to do things and enjoy life. It's, so it's hard. It's easy easy thing for me to get discouraged about. The good thing about it is it, it's, it makes other things seem not so bad. So when you got something that's worse, it helps put things in perspective. So you've got things you're discouraged about. Some of you, some of you maybe never have been discouraged, so you don't, you haven't had that experience. But um, what what things are discouraging you? What things are bumming you out these days? Uh, could be things to do with your um, your job. Could be things to do with your financial situation. Could your health, you've got health struggles as well. Uh, could be um, family problems, raising kids. Uh, it may be your husband or your wife. Maybe being single, dealing with aging parents. So there's lots of things that could be discouraging to us that, that are burdensome. And some things are intense and long and drawn out. Other things are just common garden variety discouragements. So uh, we are looking at this from the standpoint of Moses and, and God's people, Israel, and the Exodus. And uh, Greg read for you the uh, final couple of verses of chapter 5 of Exodus where Moses was complaining about, hey, I did what you asked me to do, God, and, and you've only brought evil upon people so far. It seems like nothing good has happened in terms of what you sent Aaron and I to do. And so he complains and he says, Lord, why have you brought evil to this people? Why did you, why did you ever send me? And um, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So not a good report from, from uh, his perspective. So we're going to see how God, uh, where, where God goes from here and how he answers this in, in chapter 6. So if you would stand, we're going to read from God's word the first um, oh, 13 or so verses of chapter 6. So this is God's answer to, to Moses' complaint. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the, the groaning of, of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians sold as, hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. 
I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you, to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out, out, of, out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of a, I have, I am of circumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a, a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Father, we ask for your help to make this word, your, your words to us about Israel and your purpose for them and how that applies to us by your spirit. Help us to see the glory of Christ in this and, and the hope that we have in him. Teach us your, from your word, Father, we ask by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So the Lord says to Moses, now, now is the time. The, the timing of God's defeat of Pharaoh is up to him. Right now, Pharaoh is strong-arming the people of Israel to keep them enslaved and burdened. He believes that by making their brick-making much harder, they will not listen to the words of Moses and Aaron. So if he just works them hard enough, they're not going to listen to Moses and Aaron. And uh, they'll, they'll just continue making bricks. But the Lord says, now you'll see what I will do to Pharaoh, what I will do to Pharaoh. When I get through with him, no longer will he be strong-arming you to keep the people as slaves in Egypt. He will instead drive them out with a strong arm. So he'll, he'll no longer be holding them. He's going to say, get out. He'll be persuaded by God's dealing with him. When we are in doubts and discouragement, or despair over our sufferings and trials, God is not nervous as to whether he will make good on his promises to help and, and deliver. In other words, God is, his gospel promises are always good. And so when we say gospel, the word gospel means good news. And uh, it's good news that God is going to deliver uh, Israel out of Egypt. So this is like their gospel. It's, it's the good news of God is going to triumph over Pharaoh and he's going to deliver Israel out of Egypt. So, so when we're talking about trusting in gospel promises, promises of deliverance from slavery to sin or suffering, to, to promise blessing. So their, their blessing is going to be entering the land, the, the land that God promised to them. And uh, so it, this is their, their good news. God is going to, to, to deliver them into a, a dwelling place. Um, and he's continued to do that throughout history. God has demonstrated he's proven himself to be faithful throughout history as the God who delivers his people according to his gospel. So this year, 2017, is the 500th anniversary of, of the Protestant Re Reformation. That was a time where the gospel of Jesus Christ was recovered. Uh, it wasn't totally lost, but, but it was submerged under a lot of human tradition and religious um, superstition and, and so um, other man-made religious traditions. And due to lack of clear gospel teaching and, and preaching, 
So uh, Martin Luther, who was the person who God used to start the Reformation, so, so to speak, wrote a book called The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. And so that was his, his view of the church was like Israel being captive in Babylon. So in Israel's history, not only did they have to get delivered out of Israel to begin with, but out of Egypt to begin with, but later on they, they, they got um, deported to Babylon. So they were uh, exiles in Babylon as well. So they were captives again. And so Martin Luther sees a parallel there. God erasing tradition had buried the glory of the gospel, but now light was breaking out. So the reformers took up a Latin phrase to, to describe what happened. And the Latin phrase is, get, get, get your Latin ready, post tenebrous lux, after darkness light, after darkness light. And so what, what, they, what they felt is that the light of the gospel was re- released again, and they, they recovered the truths of, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, based upon Scripture alone, for God's glory alone. So that was uh, the recovery of the gospel. God continued to deliver his people by his gospel promises. And so he's, he's done that for his church. He, he keeps the gospel from being lost to the church. And in verse 2 of um, this text, God says to Moses, I am the Lord. And we said, we, we, we learned earlier that his name, his personal name, we, we think it's pronounced Yahweh. And so uh, he's, he's saying, I'm Yahweh, and that means I am. So I am the God who, who is. We see God say this three more times in this chapter. So he's, he's really emphasizing, I am the, the Lord, I am Yahweh. In calling Moses and the people of Israel to trust his promise of deliverance, he is making his identity, his character, who he is, the foundation and focus of their faith. So who he is is, is the foundation of how they can be delivered. And in, in verse 3, God says he appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, or El Shaddai. But he had not really revealed who, who he is as Yahweh. Um, they, they knew the name, but they, they didn't really know what that meant. And so now God is revealing himself as Yahweh to, to Moses and Israel. In verse 4, God not only appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he established his covenant with them to give to them the land of Canaan. At that time, they were living in Canaan as sojourners, as aliens. And now, as their descendants are groaning under the burdens of slavery in Egypt, the Lord, Yahweh, has remembered his covenant. Now, that doesn't mean he forgot it. It doesn't mean, oh, I I got so busy, I just forgot the covenant. It means he's now he's going to act on the covenant. In his sovereign timing, he's going to act on the covenant. If you've been groaning under the pains and strains of your suffering, God has not forgotten you. You see that being complained about a lot in, in the Psalms, for example. People saying, God, have you forgotten? Be gracious. So it seems sometimes that God loses track of our, of our sufferings and our, what we're going through, but he never does. He's always got us in his sights. He, and Jesus, the greater son of Abraham, always lives to make intercession for, for you. So Jesus is constantly praying for you. He's got you in his, his, his sights of grace.
then in verses 6 and following, God says what you're to say to, to Pharaoh. So God gives Moses the words to say to, to, to Israel first. He says, say, I am the Lord, I'm Yahweh, and here is what my name means for you. Because I am Yahweh, I will bring you out from under the, the burdens of, of the Egyptians. I will deliver you. So he, he's, he's listening. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you. In other words, I will, <clears throat> I will rescue you and free you from slavery. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. In other words, his mighty power and with great acts of judgment. Uh, to, and to redeem them is he's paying the price to redeem them. He's, he's doing what he, whatever needs to be done to free them from their bondage to, to Pharaoh. And Yahweh is not freeing them just to be a, a bunch of individuals who can now do their own thing. He's freeing them to be his people. Since God drove his first people out of the Garden of Eden, so for he had Adam and Eve for a while, they sinned, and he had to drive them out from his presence. Now he is creating a new people who belong to him. He says, I will take you to be my people. I, and I will be your God. And the word take is often used in terms of a man taking a, a woman to be his wife. In fact, we use that in, in traditional uh, marriage ceremonies in, in English. Do you take this man to be your, your husband? Do you take this woman to be your wife? So that's what God's saying. I'm going to take you to be my own people. God does that. The greater Moses, Jesus Christ, does that for us as well. He came to deliver us from the God-opposing world system, from our own sins, to free us from sinful and worldly bondage, and he saved us to be his people, to be his bride, who get their identity from him. In our former church, there was a, a, a woman who had been a missionary in, in, in Papua New Guinea for years, and she was just a quality person, Godly, uh, godly older woman. She's, she now went home to be with the Lord just this past year. Her name is Virginia. So whenever you ask Virginia, Virginia, how you doing? She would say, I'm redeemed. She got it. Her identity was, she, she was honest about how she was struggling, but she, she so loved the Lord and she was so tied into, her identity was so much in him that she couldn't think of herself apart from, I'm redeemed, I'm saved, I belong to Jesus. And <clears throat> Your identity is, is who you are in Christ. It's not your sin. If you're in Christ, your identity is who you are in Christ. It's not your sin. It's not, it's not your successes either. It's I belong to Jesus. That's, that's where I get my identity from. That is how I, how I know who I am. In fact, the, ch the word English word church comes from like an old English word, kirk, like the Scottish word, kirk. You go to Scotland, the, the churches are called kirk. It comes from a Greek word, kyriake, which means belonging to the Lord. So that the, the word church means I belong to, to Jesus. So you are under his ownership. God promises that he will bring Israel into the land that he swore to give to to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He guarantees that he will do this by underlining his words with, I am Yahweh. So in verse 8, once again we see, I am Yahweh. 
And he so he concludes what he's saying by, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. So that's, this is who I am, I'm a deliverer. So he's, he's continuing to, to drill into their minds and to their hearts that who he is is a delivering God, covenant-keeping God. That's what Yahweh means. Yahweh is not just a name. Hey, I like the sound of Yahweh. I was looking at the list of God names, and I chose that one. No, it's, it's, it means I'm delivering God. I keep my covenant promises. He's teaching Moses that and Israel that. God is staking his name on what he will do to free the people of Israel to be his people. So he's, he's backing it up. He's, he's attaching his name to Israel and saying, what I do to Israel is, I'm, is my reputation to the world. And he does that through Jesus Christ for us as well. When God sent Jesus into the world, he named him Jesus because Jesus means Yahweh saves. So that's the same. Our identity is, is wrapped up in the fact that God saves through Jesus Christ. God has staked his reputation in saving us through Jesus. So you, you carry God's reputation in your life. The gospel is not just to get us out of judgment. It's not just to get us free of sin only. It's so that we can be with God and be his people. In verse 9, we see Moses goes back to the people of Israel. He says, okay, well, I'll, I'll go talk to them. I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring them this message. And, but the people did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and because of their hard slavery. They're deeply discouraged, and their spirit is crushed. And we get that. We can understand because they've been suffering so long, they've had their hopes brought up and crushed, crushed again. They're so discouraged. Moses had told them, hey, God appeared to us. He says he's going to free us. And, and then they get their work um, ramped up harder, and their slavery gets worse. So right now, the people of Israel only have the words of, they have the words of the good news, of the gospel, so to speak, but they don't have any, God has not yet acted on it. So they, they don't have that sense of, yeah, we can see God working. They, they just have the words. And even though they should trust God's word, they're just too beaten down for those words to make any difference to them. And so the question is, maybe some of you are there, like, in that situation this morning. Maybe your experience is, hey, I, I trust God's word, but I, I don't feel the reality of it. It doesn't seem like it's really working for me. And because your, <clears throat> your pain and your suffering has gone on so long, it's hard for you to feel hope and joy in God's, in God's word. The words of gospel hope we have today are, are not just words, thankfully, because they, they're reflecting of the, the historical reality of Christ's death and resurrection. He really, God sent his son to take on human flesh, being born of a virgin, dying on the cross for our sins, being raised again from the dead. And he's, he really has acted in history, and he's, he's, he's demonstrated his faithfulness to, to save us. So it's not like just words that, that, that are to encourage us. It's the reality of, of God's gospel works through Jesus, guaranteeing forgiveness and freedom from sin for all who would put their faith in him. So with the people being so discouraged, God again calls Moses to his task. So in verse 10, the Lord says to Moses, Go to Pharaoh 
and tell him to let the people of Israel go. But Moses objects that if even the people of Israel haven't listened listen to him, how will Pharaoh listen to him? So I can't even get my own people to listen to me, so how is Pharaoh going to, to listen to me? Besides, he has defective lips. He's got a lip problem, uncircumcised lips. I don't know if any of you have ever had that diagnosis. <laughs> Thankfully, it's just an idiom. That's it's a word picture. It means I'm a poor speaker. I'm an unskilled communicator. So that's all Moses meant by that. He thinks the results of his speaking engagement so far validates it. Hey, you can see my track record so far. It hasn't worked. So obviously, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not your man. But the Lord just ignores Moses. Sometimes God ignores our objections and just says, go do this like I told you to. Everything is still going to go and going to, it's going according to my plan. We're, we're right on, on target. The weaknesses of his servants don't wreck God's plans. The weaknesses of his servants don't wreck God's plans. His original orders to Moses and Aaron still stand. They're to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. But what about their weaknesses? The success of Israel's deliverance was never a function of their strengths or weaknesses. Now, God uses our strengths and our weaknesses, but, but he doesn't depend upon them. It's not like we make or break God's plan. He, he, he's going to accomplish it. So like God said back in, in verse 1, now you will see what I'm going to do. Now you will see what I'm going to do. It's not about what you're doing. It's what I'm going to do. We sometimes think if we would just use the world's ways of advancing their, their causes and of influencing people, hey, we would, people would like Christians a lot better. We'd be more popular. We would have more influence. If we could just get the right people elected, or attract more high-powered and beautiful people to our church. Now, we've got some beautiful... If I only had... We think of that about ourselves. If I was only smarter, more extroverted, better at speaking or prettier, had musical skills, came from a better family, was more like this person or that person. I had their gifts or their talents. I was more like them. If I only had a better husband or better wife, if I only had more money or had better health or didn't have this sickness, or had graduated from the right college, or was more popular, or I was this, or I had that, or I didn't have this, or I didn't have that, I could really make a difference for Jesus. Actually, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the weakness of God is stronger than men. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the, in the world. He's, God chooses weird people. God shows what is weak and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in, in the presence of God. When Christ's kingdom is coming full, when Christ's kingdom is fully here, 
No one's going to say, hey, God, you are so lucky you had these great people. Man, you really did a good job picking them. He did a good job picking them, but it wasn't our talents. It wasn't our strengths. It was God's doing. Christ crucified is the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. God's power is worked in. The ultimate weak person was Jesus. He had the biggest weakness in, in the universe, being a sin bearer on the cross. And God's power worked to that, unlike any other power ever. Now, the fact that God's promises of, of deliverance was not dependent on Moses' strengths and not hindered by his weaknesses doesn't mean that there was no sense in which Moses and, and Aaron had to meet some qualifications. So that um, means it's time for a genealogy. We're, we're due for a genealogical interlude. So you want to see, look at the screen or look at your Bibles to see if I'm pronouncing these names correctly. You can go ahead. These are the heads of their father's houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. So this is where we get focused on Moses and, and Aaron. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shemai by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took his, his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister. Don't do that. They changed the rules after this generation. <laughs> and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sh Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Kor Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Petugiel and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. And this is the main point, verses 26 and 27. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. So due to their apparent weak start, Pharaoh with Pharaoh. Some could be doubtful as to whether Moses and Aaron are truly God's appointed leaders for Israel. Moses and Aaron's legitimacy must be affirmed for Aaron and his sons, the priesthood, uh, 
becomes the foundation for the priesthood. And the authority of Moses as the chief leader of Israel is to be unchallenged in God's eyes. So they need to establish, is, are Aaron and Moses true leaders of, of Israel? Some of them did challenge Moses' leadership, the sons of Korah. Um, and God caused a sinkhole to open up and swallowed them up. So there were challenges to Moses' Moses's leadership. The main point of this genealogy is to confirm that Moses and Aaron were singled out by God to be used by God to lead and deliver his people. That's what he says, says in verses 26 and 27. Moses and Aaron didn't appoint themselves to this work. It was God's sovereign call and his choosing the line of Levi through whom, through Amram. It was through Moses and Aaron that God delivered the people of Israel, creating a new people of his own, a holy nation. In the same way, the, the greater Moses, Jesus, to be our deliverer, from spiritual slavery to free us to be God's new people, had to be a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David. He also had to be the son of God to be our high priest by the power of an indestructible life. In, in him was life, eternal life. Through the son of God was the world created. So, so the son of God created the world. God, God worked through his son to create the world and including human beings so in the beginning. So to redeem fallen humanity, to be a, a new humanity, our deliverer had to be the Son of God. So he's confirmed that Moses and Aaron were qualified to be Israel's deliverer leaders, and having shown how God sovereignly specifically called them to bring Israel out of Egypt, in verses 28 and 30, we're taken back to God's talking to Moses about his task. So verses 28 and 30, once again, God says to Moses, I am the Lord. So he keeps emphasizing that. I'm Yahweh. Now get in there and tell Pharaoh all that I told you to tell him, all that I told you to say. And so once again, Moses brings up, hey, remember the uncircumcised lips? I'm a poor speaker. How is Pharaoh going to listen to me? Well, next week we'll see how God addresses this in chapter 7 and how Moses and Aaron have an, another go with Pharaoh. But God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be a blessing to all the nations. God appointed Israel to be the, the pattern. Um, he's using them as a pattern for that blessing in delivering them from their slavery, from their despair, from their doubts into the land of promise. So how is the deliverance to the land of promise something that we're going to go through? How is God going to do that for us? We'll fast forward to the end of the story for a future date yet to be announced. We'll see it in Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the, the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as, as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall it be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So until we get there, I mean, that's awesome. So that's, that's where God's going to take us. That's, that's the fulfillment of all that he did in Israel, is in the new heavens and new earth. But in the interim time, we endure our sufferings by faith in, in the promises of the gospel. And so when we say that, we're, we're looking at any time you see something in, in the scriptures that says this is what Jesus has provided for you, then that's a gospel promise. And um, we'll, we'll go to Romans 8. I think I got that up on, maybe on the screen, Romans 8. Yeah. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So God provides grace. If, if God is for us, we know God is for us because he's, he's given us Christ. Nothing can be against us successfully. Lots of things torment us in, until Christ comes back. But if he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. So if he sent his son to die for us, and gave him up for us all, he's going to give us what we need to endure our suffering. He's going to give us everything with grace. His grace in, in, laces everything that we encounter, everything that comes our way, has God's grace working in it and through it. He will give us grace in all things. And he will give us all things that we need by his grace to face what is against us. God is for you by grace. He gives you all that you need in Christ. That's a gospel promise you can live by. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your promises are good. We thank you that you have freed us from all that is against us, we still experience disappointments, discouragements, sufferings in this present age. We thank you that we have a certain hope that you will succeed what you've promised to do. To bring us into a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering in the, the new heavens and new earth. We get the privilege of living in, by faith in your gospel promises now, so help us to do that. May we see afresh in the scriptures, how wonderfully you provide by your grace. You who did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. How will you not, along with him, graciously give us everything we need? Thank you for, for giving us all, all that we need in Christ. It's in his name. Amen.